Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap. We're coming to you today after the New England Revolution picked up their record 19th win of the season. A 2-1 victory over Orlando City SC at Gillette Stadium. Uh, on some football lines, unfortunately. Second game in a row, we had to witness a Revolution soccer match on football lines. First in mm-hmm. Chicago, now in Orlando. Not something I want to get used to. Uh, but on to the good stuff. I'm Sean Donahue. Joining me today is Chris Lucas. Chris, how are you doing? The, is there anyone that can really complain right now? Revolution 19 wins in a season. Uh, unreal. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, we got one more match before the uh, break, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to this Wednesday night match. I'm just I'm just in a good mood. I'm just happy, uh, raring to go, and uh, just watch this team uh, go through the playoffs. I want to I want to see how that goes. Tonight felt a lot like a playoff match, and it's just really really amped me up overall. So, uh, how about you? How you doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. It felt like a playoff game. It was a fun one to watch. I enjoyed it. But I, I I, do have to harp on it one more time. It is frustrating to watch such a talented team on a field with football lines. And we haven't seen it all season, so I can't complain too much. And I know they've done everything they can to avoid it. And this only happened because the Patriots are playing tomorrow. And there was rain in the forecast. So, you know, for whatever reason, they had that meant they had to have football lines. But, man, it stinks seeing such a good, talented team play on football lines and make it look like a high school or kind of amateur game with that. But enough, enough of the bad stuff. I got that out of my system. I had to say something. Um, It's just the reality of, of of where things are, but with so much talent on the field, that's unfortunate. Um, But onto the good stuff, Chris, what what was your key takeaway from this one? Yeah, we're talking about the talent on the field. I'm looking at my guy. Uh, I haven't talked about him that much at all this season. I don't think, and that's Adam Buxa and everybody knows, I think, at this point that I'm a huge fan of Adam Buxa as well as other players. But yeah, Buxa in particular uh, really stands out for me. And I'm so happy to be able to be uh, kind of blushing and gushing over how well his performance was uh, tonight. I thought he had such a fantastic match, essentially three goals for him. Obviously there's only one goal on the stat sheet. Uh, The second goal, he really forced that, uh, that own goal by Rodrigo Schlegel there. And, uh, he scored a third goal as well that was later on in the match, although that was deemed offside, which correct call. Uh, I was still hoping that there was some sort of weird MLS deflection rule that would make him be onside. Uh, they didn't even look at it, which tells me that that rule does not exist. But uh, I thought Pukes had such a good game. Uh, a lot of great um, just playmaking ability. He was really being a nuisance in the box and uh, just very active overall. And when the play wasn't there, he wasn't afraid to switch it. And he was making good passes. I, there was one one pass he had uh, second half early on. I, I didn't catch the minute uh, marker of it. But he was uh, coming up uh, towards the left side. It was, a, it was a good pass from Parley's heel. The play wasn't there for him to take it to net. So he looked across and... Uh, I think he tried getting it back to Carleus, uh, switching the ball, and it was maybe a bit too much air underneath it, but it forced a corner, corner kick, and just the vision and being able to to ping the ball like that, you don't really see that so much from him, because he's such an in-the-box type player, uh, but it was nice to see that he, he was just really feeling it tonight, and uh, also, Orlando is a good team, I don't care what kind of form they're in, but there's been a lot of talk that Adam Buxa doesn't perform against good teams. Well, I don't 
know how you could look at his performance tonight and say he's not performing because in my opinion I thought that he was the best player on the pitch for uh many portions of the match I wouldn't say maybe overall as far as you know man of the match caliber but uh I thought he was uh, an imposing force and um if Adam Buxa can continue to play like that and to just put balls in the back of the net I don't care if he's offside half the time if he just keeps doing that getting in the keeper's head uh this team is just going to keep going I mean there's many reasons why this team's going to keep going, but this is just another one of them. Uh, I don't know if you had any opinions on Adam Buxa, but uh, I'm just so happy to see him doing so well and and just really uh, coming out and just having a great time against Orlando tonight. No, I mean, I completely agree. He certainly passed the eye test. I thought he had a very good game. Um, you know, I, I, I'm lucky that the the ball went off the defender, not him for the second goal, uh, but certainly heavily involved in that. And you know, just a good overall performance from him. The, you know, I, I will say, I think we have to point out that he, his passing accuracy was only 56%, which is, is not is not. I great. omitted that one. I omitted that. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, we got to point that one out. But, um, you know, sometimes the stats don't tell the whole story. And I think, you know, he definitely played a, a really good game uh, despite that number and was really involved in the, just the chemistry between him and Gustavo Bo, which I think has continued to get better all season. And maybe, you know, with the international break and Bo's injury, I think they lost a little bit of that, but I think that was back uh, more in this game than maybe we saw in some other games since then. So that was good to see as well. Um, but Gustavo Bo has just gotten better and better for the revolution. Um, you know, bumps and ups and downs sometimes, but you know, the general trajectory has been, has been really great. Um, and I think you just have to hope that, you know, he, he's presumably getting called up by Poland again in the next international break, the revolution play Wednesday. And then they have a kind of a long gap before the next game that, you know, he gets minutes there and continues his good form and, and builds confidence and then comes back for the, with the revolution, you know, ready to combine with Gustavo Bo again, the way that he has been doing, um, when the revolution had been in, at their best, but you know, credit, credit to your guy, Adam Books. I thought he had another good game. Yeah. Yeah, Chris is happy tonight. What what do you got for a takeaway, Sean? You know, it's hard for me to keep coming up with takeaways when the revolution keep winning. There's only you. so much I you can you. comment on. Um, but I think I think this is kind of a lukewarm take um, because I think most people would agree with me. But I think we absolutely saw what Bruce Arena believes is the revolution's best 11 tonight. The second time we've seen it, we saw it against Columbus a week ago. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that Bruce sees what we saw tonight as the revolution best best 11. There was never any doubt about the revolution's back line and, and, and Matt Turner, Brandon By, Farrell, Kessler, Dwan Jones, Matt Turner. That was your back five. Matt Polster, that was your defensive midfielder. I think some of your questions came and what he was going to do with the rest of the lineup. Um, of course, Carles, Carles Heel always going to start. Um, of course, I think Gustavo Bowen, Adam Buxa made it, so they always had to start. And then the question is, how do you fit in Tejan Buchanan, who is one of your best players, uh, and make this work? And then who is the next guy, the 11th player on the field, which I think there was some question about. And I think Tommy McNamara throughout the season has 100% made himself that number, that eleventh guy on this on this revolution team that has to start every game, and you know, to be honest, a, a lot of that is him playing really well, and and some of that is his competition not playing, you know, maybe up to the potential that you thought they had. Whether it's you know Captu and Maciel, um, you know, I, I think Scott Caldwell still offers a lot for the revolution, but not as a starter for the most part. Um, you know, Louis Caicedo working his way back to form, but I think Tommy McNamara for his really good play and for his competitions you know, not amazing play uh, has locked up that spot. And so I guess the, you know, there's no real controversy with this being the 11 in my mind. Um, I agree with Bruce Arena. The question is, uh, you know, the formation. And the one thing I will say is, I, I you know, Tejan Buchanan, I thought had a good game. He set up that second goal. He created some other chances. But I, I do still think that him kind of playing more centrally um, does limit 
his skill set because I, I think Tejan Buchanan is at his best when he's out wide taking on guys one on one and can cut inside. And we saw him drift out and do that a few times. I think that was when he's at his most dangerous. But um, when he's not playing out wide consistently, um, which I think he's asked to do less of in this formation, I don't think you're getting the best out of Tejan Buchanan, despite the fact he was still really dangerous and had a good game. Um, but with all of that said, I think despite that, the Revolution are kind of forced into playing more of this formation because that's what works best for everyone else on the team. And, and Tejan's, you know, kind of taking taking a little bit of a hit because of that. Um, but, you know, regardless, I don't see a better way for the Revolution to go out there than what Bruce Arena's done this weekend and last weekend. And this is what I think we're going to see in the playoffs, assuming everyone's healthy. Uh, any Any disagreement? No, no, not really. Uh, and, you know, when you're talking best 11, I'm glad that you went in and you talked about formation because that has been a big piece of it. If you're looking at the players in the 11 that started tonight, the only question mark, as you mentioned, would have been Tommy McNamara and saying, who is that other player going to be? I think every other uh, player on the roster is a guaranteed 100% lock to be a starter on any MLS roster. Uh, and so, of course, these players are going to be here starting for the Revs. Who's that other player going to be? I agree. Again, Tommy McNamara is that guy. Uh, I was talking about him in the Twitter Spaces uh, live event that we did uh, over the midweek game. And it's just Tommy Mack. He's just showed up time and time again. And it, it's, I, I won't go on about Tommy Mack again because I did that, like I said, on Wednesday. But um, that that was the missing piece. Where is he going to be? But a lot of the formations, when you talk in that, Earlier in the year, you saw Bruce playing a lot with different formations, whether it was the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-1-4-1 and throwing uh, Arnold Tristan out wide on one side, Tejan Buchanan maybe on the other, where Adam Buxa or Gustavo Bo are sitting or starting on the bench to begin the match. And I'm not necessarily sure that's the way that you need to go. I kind of liked it at the start of the season saying maybe it's nice to be able, you know, it's such a luxury to have one of these big strikers or goal scorers to bring on late in the match and really change the course of a game, which it is a luxury to have. But if you have these players on your roster, you got to get them out there on the first 11 and tonight's the, the formation and the, the personnel I think is the best 11 that Bruce has. And I think that Bruce sees that too. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And there were times certainly earlier in the season where I wouldn't have said that. And where, you know, like you said, we, we were questioning whether or not the Revolution should be playing both the strikers at the same time. Um, I think legitimately we were because, you know, at the beginning of the year, they didn't look great together. Um, but that's completely changed. The script is, the script has been flipped on that one. Um, so for me, there's, there's no doubt that both those guys have to be out there together. Um, you know, I might not have said that seven months or whatever ago, uh, but now it's, it's no question. And, Tommy McNamara, I just want to, I do want to talk about him. I know you might have talked about him on Wednesday, but I do want to talk about him quickly. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's having a career year in many ways. His average passes per game at 28 is the most he's ever had in his career. His passing success rate this year, 87.3%, by far the best he's had in his career. Um, you know, before that, I think his highest was 82.7% for, well, no, I take that back. He did have one year at 85% um, for New York City FC, but uh, generally he's been you know, right around 80%. So 87.3% is phenomenal for him. Um, he just, you know, he's having a very, very solid season for the Revolution, and one of those guys going into the year that I thought was going to be a great depth piece for the Revolution, I think, has become uh, a clear starter for the Revs. So, um, 
congrats to him. Good job by Bruce Arena to keeping keeping him on this Revolution roster um, for another year and re-signing him because he's been an absolute key for the Revs. When you know, again, not to not to harp on guys that haven't performed as well, but uh, I do think the Revolution's other central midfield options, in some ways, especially you know, looking at Captoom, have been disappointing. So McNamara stepping up and playing as well as he has has made it so that hasn't really mattered at all. Um, so, yeah, it, so good it, on him. it's amazing he was not brought in for this role i mean maybe in his mind that's why he he's here and he's really proven it but there's no in my opinion there's no way that bruce goes out and signs a, a wilford cap tomb if tommy mcnamara is going to be the guy no <laughs> yeah no no way i completely agree with you the cap tomb at the salary he's making uh, it's not it's not getting signed if Bruce Arena thinks McNamara is going to play the role that he's played for the Revs. So yeah, and um, how expensive was that bench tonight too? So yeah, well let's. I, I mean, we're gonna get to that in a minute. Actually, <laughs> let's get to that now. I, I mean, let's get to that now. Why were there no subs in this game till the eighty fourth minute? You talk about how expensive that bench was. You know, we mm-hmm. saw this bench um, perform okay midweek when when most of them started. Um, you know, as, as Good at the, the Revs got three points. You can't complain too much. But why, why did we not see subs in this one until the 84th minute on a Revolution team that, you know, presumably has pretty good depth? And I didn't think the Rev, I mean, the Revolution were okay in the second half, but I, I didn't think they were playing so fantastic that, you know, there, there wasn't somebody on that bench and a little bit of fresh legs that couldn't have helped the Revs prior to the 84th minute, right? I 100% agree, and I don't know why the changes were made. But this has, again, been another recurring theme of the Revolution all 2021 season right it's been why is bruce not making subs and i i don't know i didn't follow a whole lot of bruce arena in la or in new york or even with the u.s men's national team i watched those matches but i don't remember what formations he rolled out with or what subs he made so maybe this is just a bruce arena thing that he's done throughout his career but i'm not really understanding the logic behind it and it's not that these depth pieces are actually not that good they are actually good depth pieces but i wonder if there's just such a talent gap between the players that are on the pitch and the depth that we have a lot of the depth players we have would be a starter on many mls sides right but maybe there is just such that big talent gap where it's such a big downgrade to go from a tejan buchanan to uh i don't want to say teal bunbury is a you know downgrade i don't mean to throw shade at teal like that but you understand what I'm what I'm kind of getting at with that, right? Like, is is that what it is? I don't know, and I'm just really grasping at straws to try to find an answer to try to like rationalize this this thought process. But I I don't get it, and yeah, I'm not gonna rant either because I, I know we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So I'm gonna try to keep my my rants in check tonight. But do you have any idea? Because I I really don't. Well, to your point, I think you know, the, the fact that he did wait so long to bring subs on is just another piece of evidence that Bruce is very certain this is his best 11. Because I think if there were any yeah. if there were any pieces out there where there was any question, you know, why wouldn't you sub that guy on just for the fresh leg? So uh, I do think that there is some truth to what you're saying that, you know, there is a, a talent drop off. Because when you look at, you know, again, there's some good depth in this team because we've seen them go out and win games with guys missing. But if you if you do look at paper, if you're going to take out McNamara and put Captoom in. Um, I think I think we talked about Captoom and him underperforming. I don't think that's a good sub you make. Uh, you know, honestly, if you're going to bring Scott Caldwell, I think he's done a very good job of holding on the fort. If you brought him on for McNamara, um, 80th minute or something to help solidify uh, the defense, that sub makes sense to me. The one sub that I thought though that the Revolution could have used in this one is Teal Bunbury for Gustavo Bo earlier than mm-hmm. the 92nd minute, and I thought Gustavo Bo had a fine game, but I, I, to me, he looked a little bit tired. 
late in this game. There was even one time where he was kind of making a run. Um, the Revs turned the ball over and got it back quickly, and he just kind of stayed offside late in this game. And I, I, I saw that type of you know play from him later, you know, in the later minutes of this game a few times. So to me, if I was going to make a sub earlier, that sub would have made a lot of sense to me. You know, it, it's a drop off from Bo to Bunbury, but Bunbury is still a very capable MLS player. And if Bo is you know a little bit tired at the end of the game, which I thought he looked, you know. Bringing Bunbury on in the 75th minute instead of the 96th minute, or 92nd minute, sorry, would have made a lot of sense to me. So that's that's the one sub that stood out to me as one that I would have made. Other than that, you know, I I, I do kind of get you know, what you're saying. I kind of agree with what you're saying, even though you're you're working hard to come up with a reason. I do kind of agree with the reason that there is a, you know, if the Revolution are holding on to a tight lead, there is a significant drop-off in a lot of those other positions, despite the fact that, you know, these guys have proven to be capable of starting an MLS. Um, just so much talent in the Revolution starting lineup. And, you know, it, that is, it, that's also added to the fact that Boateng, who, you know, has played so well for the Revolution off the bench, wasn't available. Um, that might have changed the thought process as well. So on the, on the Boateng thing real quick, too, I think if Boateng was available, he's probably your best sub on on the roster, right? I mean, right. maybe aside from Teal Bunbury coming in uh, for Gustavo Bo, but if you're talking wingers or midfield, I think Boateng is probably the best sub that you have. Obviously, it's more of an attacking sub, but he's also played uh, as a left back for the Revs so far this year. So uh, Bruce obviously trusts him to do that. So I, I still don't understand why Boateng is not making the roster. Is he injured? Is is that what it is? I, I haven't even heard. I believe I believe he's injured. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we've been told the nature of the injury, but I think he's been injured the past couple of games. Okay. Yeah, you know, I didn't even look at it, but FootMob actually has him listed as injured. So I probably should have looked at that before opening <laughs> my mouth, but that's okay. You live and learn. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it is interesting, and I I do wonder. I mean, I think we're we're all glad that Matt Turner made a huge save on on Nani on the penalty mm-hmm. kick, but I do wonder what would have happened had that been scored and the Revolution, you know, had tied that game and they were tried to push for a winner. Would another sub have been made sooner? But then again, you look at the bench, and you know, if, if Boateng was on that bench, I think you immediately put him into this game if it, it gets tied up and you're looking for a winner. But with him not on the bench, I don't I don't really know what you do for offense. And I guess that's a little bit of a concern um, when Boateng's not there. As good as the Revolution's depth is, you know, you look at that bench and yes, there's Teal Bunbury that you could bring on for a bit more offense. But otherwise, that that was a bench that was pretty devoid of offensive options. Yeah, there's Tristison, uh, you know, who you, you know, I guess provides a little bit of offense. But I don't know. That, that, I guess that's one concern if you're looking for a concern late in the season. There weren't too many offensive options on that bench. And, you know, would it have made sense to have Edward Kizza available on that bench? I, I assume he's healthy and it was just kind of a decision not to put him there or, or Rivera or Renix. I don't know. But that is, I guess, one issue. There's not a lot of offensive options to kind of change the game late when Boateng's not available. Yeah, that that's a good point, too, on Kizza because he went 45 minutes on Wednesday night. And I, while I don't think he was good, he also wasn't really bad. So it's kind of surprising to see that he didn't even make the roster. I don't know if something else is going on there. I don't know if there's any other undisclosed injuries. You know, we're getting used to that. But, uh, yeah, the, the subs overall just didn't make a lot of sense. And then I wanted to touch on one more thing real quick before we move on was the uh, bow and – um, why am I blanking on his name? Teal, uh, Teal Bunbury. You mentioned that that would be the sub that you wanted to see, and it makes so much more sense when you're trying to close out a game. I don't want Gustavo Bo to be my, you know, my striker coming back and defending because Gustavo Bo has shown time and time again that he's just gonna 
trail behind the play and not necessarily put in that extra effort to get back. And whether that's an age thing, you know, he doesn't have the, the legs to go or if it's something else, which I hope it's not like a work rate type thing. I don't know. But Teal Bunbury has shown that he is like r- resilient more than anything else. And he's going to track back. He's going to defend and he's going to be uh, a real pest in that midfield as well. Uh, and in transition, he's going to be explosive. So I think he's probably the best striker that the revolution have when you're trying to close out a game with a lead. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And especially when Bo is tiring, it just makes a lot of sense to me to, to do that. I, I get the other side of the argument. If the revolution do concede an equalizer, you want Bo out there to help score. But I, I don't know if he's if he's looking tired and also factoring in that you want to keep him help with your playoffs. It even adds a, you know, he's the, one of the older guys in the roster. It even adds to the reasoning to p- perhaps take him off late. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see if that continues to be a trend from Bruce. But it was interesting that he waited so long to make a sub in this one. Um, we should mention Arnor Tristison did. Did suffer a head injury in stoppage time. He collided with a player on Orlando um, and was subbed off for John Bell. I don't, I don't read anything into that substitution because it just made perfect sense for the Revolution with a, a few seconds left in the game to, you know, not give him treatment on the sidelines while the game continued. And said, you know, he, he was not coming back into that game before the game was over anyway. So, you know, putting Bell on there, wasting more time, getting an extra defensive body makes perfect sense. But hopefully, he's okay. Um, you hate to see anyone go down with a head injury. We'll, we'll you know, hopefully find out more this week about him but you know that that was unfortunate to see um really quickly daryl dk i thought he really caused the revolution problems in this game you know he caused henry kessler problems on that goal uh orlando's equalizer you know refs came back mm-hmm. and, and scored to win but that was that was a tough one i think he caused matt turner problems with the pace of his shot um and then you know andrew farrell fouled him he caused andrew farrell problems and andrew farrell fouled him for the penalty kick uh, you know, the Revolution could very well face Orlando in the playoffs. Are, are you at all concerned with this matchup after watching this game? Uh, not really. So the DK points are fantastic, I think, to make. And I think Daryl DK deserves a lot of attention. I still don't understand why he's in MLS right now and uh, did not get a transfer overseas. Maybe maybe Orlando's price tag is a bit too high. I know that there was something like a $10 million offer that they rejected but Daryl DK is a beast. Um, but I think the fact that getting to see him in such a powerful and uh, just overwhelming nature, you know, he really controlled the whole offense for Orlando. Getting to see him like that before we get to the playoffs is going to be such a key like benefactor when you're looking at uh, if, you know, if this matchup happens in the playoffs, which I think is a high possibility that we see Orlando in the playoffs. You faced him once. You know what to expect. You can game plan for this. You know how to how to defend better against it. I understand there's a lot of familiarity already around Daryl DK. Henry Kessler and Daryl DK went to college together. Daryl DK and Matt Turner on the U.S. men's national team, although I don't know if they've been in the same camps together yet. Uh, there's still a, quite a bit of familiarity there, and these players know each other. So that also might benefit Daryl DK a bit, but I think, if anything, just getting to have the experience of tonight and see the way that he is going to control the game and and how everything's going to flow through him is more a benefit to the revolution and the back line, especially the younger guys like uh, Dewan Jones and Brandon Bay, trying to 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 really defend a player of Daryl DK's caliber. 
Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And we do want to get to listener questions because we have a lot of them, several of which have come in as we've been speaking. So I've been I've been live adding them to to our list. Um, but before we jump into listener questions, I wanted to quickly take a minute to talk about the new sponsor of the podcast. Well, I guess not new anymore. Uh, the long-time sponsor of the podcast this season, Galasho Kits. Galasho Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders and neither does the selection. If you head to GalashoKits.com today, you can get 50 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP, all one word, at checkout for 15% off your order at GalacoKits.com. And if you're like me and a bit disappointed in your current Premier League's team performance, there are plenty of retro Premier League gear on there to help remind you of the glory years of your club. Uh, I know I've been looking longingly at some of the old Tottenham shirts when I've been watching the Spurs lose recently. Um, there's also plenty of new PSG gear out there if you jumped on that bandwagon. Uh, some stuff just added recently. And of course, plenty of stuff from a lot more obscure leagues with lots of hidden gems to find. So make sure you check out Galaco Kits and use that code REVSRECAP when you find something you like to save 15% off your order. And with that, let's jump into listener questions. Two of them jump right off the bat. Everybody wants to know uh, how soon are the Revs going to clinch the supporter shield? Oscar Liberos asked at this pace, how soon can it happen? Um, Mike Bonnell on Twitter asked, do we have a magic number for the shield? Chris, I know you did some math before this. Both of us did. What, what did you come up with? Yeah, I'm looking at uh, for the shield itself, the the number, I guess, it's either 13 or 14. It depends on how you want to look at it. You want to look at the, if you want to go to tiebreakers, it's going to be 13. So if Seattle is able to to win out the rest of the season and the Revolution pick up only 13 points in the remaining uh, eight, seven six, just matches, six games now, six only matches, six this, point, so this season's flying yeah. <laughs> Um and if that if if it revs only have 13 it goes on a goal difference right now the revs have a four goal difference advantage over seattle which if seattle's going to be picking up 30 points for the rest of the season uh their goal difference is probably going to exceed that so you probably don't yes. want to go to that um so we're probably looking at about 14 point right now uh obviously that's going to change as teams drop points other teams drop points and then uh the question really wasn't posed but i was curious so i looked it up What's the number for locking up the Eastern Conference top seed? Uh, that's going to be a 10 point. Um, that's the magic number there is 10. Uh, and we don't want to go to tiebreakers because it would be with Nashville. Uh, so if we only get nine points and Nashville is able to win out, we currently are tied on goal difference with Nashville. So that would not be a good scenario. Uh, and I think they own a head-to-head tiebreak as well. I don't know if it comes down to that, but uh, 10 points for the East Conference, 14 points for Supporter Shield. And uh, it's exciting. We get to actually talk about this now. So thanks for the questions on that. And thanks for making me do some math. <laughs> and, and let's be honest, if the Revolution have to come down to tiebreakers on these things, they they haven't done their job well enough because they have such a nice cushion right now. It should not come down to tiebreakers. And a pretty, pretty cushy schedule as well. Yeah. I mean, hypothetically, if Seattle plays you know, the most amazing end of a season ever and wins out, um, the revolution would the, the soonest the revolution could clinch the supporter shield would be the second to last game of the season. So it is, you know, there is a little bit, it is a little bit closer maybe than it looks on paper because Seattle has four games in hand. We should note we're recording on Saturday. Seattle plays Sunday. If you're listening to it next week, the, the scenario might've changed a bit. If Seattle loses that game, I think it's, you know, it becomes even a better scenario for the revolution looks a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we are, I think we are still a little ways away from, 
looking at clinching the supporter shield, although the revolution are certainly trending in the right direction. Um, clinching the Eastern Conference, as you pointed out, I think is something that um, probably comes a bit before clinching the supporter shield. So uh, yeah. all, all of that will be something to watch and all, all good things from the revolution right now. Um, if we start if we start getting worried about you know whether they actually do that, it's probably because the revolution have gone on a bad run to end the season and that's, that's not good for anybody. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, just got some several questions about this game. Uh, Mike, Matthew Korzak on Twitter said it was a good win, but lots of opportunities that should have been turned into scoring chances. Was this because of Orlando's good recovery or New England's lack of efficiency in the final third? What do you think, Chris? I'm going to say it's a little bit of both. You know, Orlando is a good team and they have a very physical defense. Uh, and they are also, for, I mean, they're good at getting caught out of position as well, as far as Orlando's defense goes. And, that they have been recovering a bit to to make up for that, and they're really good at covering each other when they need to. Uh, the Revolution, they they really pushed and and, and really pressed against Orlando's D, but there's a bit of the the lack of finishing. The 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 finishing efficiency was also not there. So it's it's a little bit of both when you look at uh, plays that just kind of fizzled out maybe because there wasn't enough runs being made by the revs or you know players necessarily weren't in the right position i mentioned that adam buxa uh that cross that ended up turning into a corner kick uh early on in the second half and that's just another example of that where i think while i thought that adam buxa made the right play and made a good play on that i feel that there was also more chances or more opportunities on the table on that specific play uh had maybe the the, the initial pass to Adam Buxa have been led in a different direction. Just an example of uh, one of several different moments tonight where there were more chances or better opportunities for the Revs to capitalize and they, they weren't making it. So it's a little bit of both. Uh, you got to give Orlando a lot of credit. Their defense has been um, really strong as of late. I don't know what their goals against is. So if I'm saying that and then I look at their goals against and it's going to be terrible, then I'm going to be shooting myself in the foot. But the eye test, at least their defense uh, has been pretty, pretty physical. And uh, that's going to be a really difficult thing when it comes playoff time as well. Yeah, I agree. I think it is a little bit of both. Um, but at the same time, I think this revolution team, and we talked about the formation, they haven't played in this formation with this personnel a lot of games. They did it against Columbus. They did this game. They haven't done it much else. Um, so I do think it's going to take some time to completely build the chemistry. And I do think the international break you know, hurt the chemistry a little bit that this team had had, had you know built. I know everyone hates to hear the word gel, especially this late in the season, but I do think a little bit of that is needed um, mm -hmm. in these last few games with this formation. And certainly the Revolution have the opportunity to do so, and they've built such a nice lead in the standings that you know if they if there are one or two hiccup games um, because they're still trying to figure out things out, that's fine. Um, but I, I'm not I'm not particularly worried about the Revolution's offense at this point. Which brings me to the next question that James Downing asked: Are we back to last year's team that just doesn't score a lot? Um, I think, Chris, we kind of answered it with this question, but I don't know if you have anything more to add. Well, I don't think we're back to that. Like uh, The lack of efficiency is concerning still, but at the same time, this team is creating a, a dozen times more chances than they were uh, last season. And that's not based on stats, but uh, I don't think there's any anyone that's going to go against that. I mean, am, am I wrong to say that, Sean? 
No, I think they're creating a lot more chances than they did last season and finishing and generally finishing more than they did last season, even though we, you know, we have complaints here and there about games. Right. And if you're talking goals scored as well, currently the revolution are first in MLS by a mile with 53 goals scored. Uh, granted, they've played about two or three more games more than any other team. Uh, but that's eight, eight goals more than the second closest team, which is DC United, apparently. Um, oh, I'm just looking at the Eastern Conference, but um, I mean, you're st- it's still DC United, even if you throw the Western Conference in. So you're right. <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. I, sh- I accidentally filtered, but yeah, so DC United with uh, 45 goals scored is the closest to the Revs, and I, I don't think. I mean, the Revs scored two more goals tonight. There are and they're averaging just under two goals a game. So they're tonight they overperformed according to their season average. So I'm not sure that we can actually say that they're not scoring uh, any more than or any less than they did last season. I, I don't know. That's it's a weird question, I think, right? It is, but I, I, the one thing I will say is, you know, despite this fact they're scoring so many goals, you look at the talent they have and how well they've been playing, you think they should be scoring even more. So I do, I do yes. get that. I do get that. But I, again, I'm not, I'm not concerned. I think, I think this team can get even better than it's been, but um, they're, they're scoring. They're generally scoring enough goals to win games. So uh, you, you can't have too many complaints there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, he said his fear is that the team has peaked and has already played its best soccer. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I actually don't think they've reached their peak yet. Um, I think they've yet to find it. Uh, and hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully they'll find it before the playoffs and, you know, going with a lot of momentum. Although I, my, my, my biggest concern for the revolution's playoff chances is the ridiculously long gap they're going to have be- between their final regular season game and their first playoff game, which looks like it's going to be 23 days because Bruce arena said in his 98, five interview this week that he, that I think it was Bruce arena that said he thinks it's going to be a Western conference game that plays on Thanksgiving, which would mean the revolution would have to play on the Tuesday after because the Patriots are home that Sunday. So the revolution couldn't play a home game. Um, so I believe that makes it 23 days between games for the revolution. And that to me is probably the revolution's biggest enemy to success in this postseason because I think that is terrible. And any momentum the revolution had, you know, you might as well throw out the window at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's an atrocious way to to work a schedule. I understand there's a lot of scheduling conflicts that go around. I don't know if there's necessarily any conflicts uh, in November. Is there more World Cup qualifying? Probably. Yeah, I believe there is. But still, it's got to still, you got to find a better way than that. It's it's pretty atrocious to see if if the Revolution end up with twenty three games, uh, a days off. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, that's it's going to kill any momentum you have, and it's it's no advantage whatsoever at that point. I don't even want the buy. I mean, I'll take the buy, but you know, you, I think you understand. No, I I, I, mean. I completely agree with you. I think you're probably better off not having the buy at that point because you you know you're going in cold to that game, and I that's I I hate it. I, I hate it, and I think mm-hmm. you know if the revolution get knocked out, and I think I think maybe the first game of the playoffs is probably going to be one of the revolution's most difficult because they they won't have that momentum built up. So uh, we're getting way ahead of ourselves talking about that, but I I just you know Bruce Arena did talk about it this week, so I wanted to that 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 game was probably going to be a Western Conference game on Thanksgiving. I mean, even if they were playing that game on Thanksgiving, that's still what eighteen days, which which is not very great either, but slightly better. So. I don't know, something something to talk about more as we get closer to that, but something that's kind of on my mind as something that could be a, an impediment to the revolution uh, in winning MLS Cup. Um, 
Mm. On a on a more positive note, Sandra Lawson also says, "Does anyone really doubt the Revs will win at kickoff? I totally get the Revs win by one goal so often and not convincingly, but at this point, that's their thing. Uh, you know, accurate. I think it's hard to it's hard to doubt the Revs will win at kickoff the way they've been playing and and putting up results. And um, you know, it does seem to be their thing to win by one goal. I'm sure that's not by design, but uh, a win is a win. And you know, there, there's been a lot of games that they've won by one goal, and you haven't had." much doubt that you know the other team was going to come back i don't know that this was one of those games but um you know even one goals can can be somewhat convincing wins and i think the revolution have had their share of convincing one goal wins um along with you know some that they probably got a bit lucky um and then you know sean i don't know about you but i go into these matches now at kickoff and i'm not concerned whatsoever from kickoff i'm used to being worried right from the get-go like the revs need a really good first 10 minutes and I, I don't even care about the first 10 minutes. I just enjoy it. And it's been, fa- uh, it's been fantastic. I, I will say I was concerned when I saw the lineup they put out against Chicago uh, yeah. <laughs> that, but otherwise when they're, when they're putting out close to their starting lineup, I, I'm not concerned. Um, and, and I should probably stop being concerned when they're putting out their, their B team too, because they still seem to find a way to win. So right. <laughs> Sandra also asked a more serious question. How do the revs work? Louis Caicedo in, uh, Chris, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one. I, I, I don't know specifically. You know, I'm I'm not that guy that's that's going to have those answers. But I think that this is an important question to ask, and I think Luis Caicedo could be a very valuable piece going forward, especially when you're talking depth. And you know, you saw how well he performed overall when he had uh, two years off. So if we're if we're talking about having 23 days off up soon, you know, maybe. Maybe he'll be like, I got this, guys. I'm used to I'm used to sitting down for a while. I, I don't know, but uh, I, I really would like to see him getting some more minutes. Maybe that means taking the rest of the season to kind of play with the formation a little bit and work him in there, put in uh, two defensive mids, see what can happen, maybe give Matt Polster a rest. Uh, I think the end of the schedule is a bit compact, um, so there might be some change or some room for some change. Uh, you know, you're looking at the... Uh, in October, or we're in October. Wow, the end of October. Well, we're still we're still in September. We got one, we got one game left in September. <laughs> wow, yeah, I I am. So, it's been a long week. It's been a long yeah, week. <laughs> it's been a long week. I was looking at the dates and I got all confused. In October, yeah, you're looking. There's a game on the 16th, 20th, 24th, 27th. So it's three to four days in between every single game for a four game stretch. There's going to be a lot of room for for rotation at that time. I think that's right. Around that time is where you're going to be looking to to try out different formations a little bit, get some players some rest. Even though they're not going to need a ton of rest for the 23 days, but you still you still want to uh, stay away from getting any injuries or anything like that. So I think that's going to be the way that they do it. Uh, again, I don't know. I'm not that guy. I, Sean, do you have any better options? No, I think you're right. I think it's going to be because they have a compact schedule. Maybe we'll see them Wednesday too, since it's a sort of quick turnaround in that one, even though they have a gap after that. Um, but I, yeah, I think, I think he works his way back in by kind of default because the revolution are going to want to rotate in all those tight games or tight scheduling. Um, again, we talked about this before. They have a, a really nice lead in the standings. They have the luxury of being able to do what they did against Chicago. Uh, I mean, they won that game. They might not win every game that they do that in. Um, but I think it makes a lot of sense for them to do that. You know, for example, they have another game against Chicago at home, October 16th. They probably play the starters in that one. Depending on the international break, if guys are tired from that, they might you know sit out and play the twentieth instead. But you know, ignoring the international break, if everyone's healthy, they probably put the starters in that one. And then against DC, four days later, they probably don't. Um, so 
there's a there, there's a very tight schedule despite the fact the refs have played so many more games than other teams i i'm not looking at other teams schedules right now but i can only imagine how tight their schedules must be if this is what the refs are doing um mm-hmm. when you know they've played four more games uh but i think that's what happens and you know the one thing i will say is luis caicedo when you again when you look at the player he was two years ago when we had that conversation earlier about you know drop off to the revolution bench i think if you had the luis caicedo of two years ago you know he's probably a guy that you're comfortable bringing on as a sub earlier in this game and not thinking you're losing too much quality whether that's for mcnamara or whether that's for even bunbury to kind of go more defensive um you know that's probably a sub that you're thinking about making if this is the luis caicedo of two years ago so i don't know if he gets back to that form but it's promising that we've seen him playing more and you know not looking too far away from from the player he was in the past. And on on that note, uh, John Euseglio on Twitter asked us, thinking about the 62 points and how the organization is positioned for the future is remarkable. It wasn't long ago the Revolution lost seven to nothing in Atlanta and didn't have any hope. This might be the best team the Revs have ever. Or this might be the best the Revs have ever been. What do you make of that? How special is it watching this team? Yeah, it's special, huh? It's uh, it's really fascinating, and I I remember that seven nil loss very well. Uh, it's it, it's pretty remarkable. You're looking at the team now and you're thinking a lot of these players also are probably not going to be here next year. So uh, it's just it's really special and you have to really enjoy it and take it in while it's here. And, you know, hopefully the refs can make it all the way. We say that we've said that in, in for other grid teams, but this team, something seems different. Something seems special about it. Uh, and again, the 62 points, it's just uh, unbelievable to see how far this team has grown in just two years. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you and John said. The only thing I'll add is building on a point that you made is we don't know how many of these guys are going to be back next year. We do know Tejan Buchanan's gone. We do know that Adam Buxa has been playing really well for Poland, and if he does that again, there's a good chance he's gone. It sounds like he wants to go back to Europe at some point, probably sooner rather than later, so he could be gone. Um, as far as we're aware, Gustavo Boa's contract is up at the end of the season, and that hasn't been renewed yet, and we know he has some desire to go back to, to Argentina uh, to finish his career at some point, I don't know whether that's next year or in the future. Um, but hypothetically, if those guys, if, if Buxa... Bo are gone on top of Buchanan and then you know who knows what's going to happen with Matt Turner because we all know how good he's been and he might be attracting interest not to be the downer in the middle of a great season but if if, hypothetically if all those guys are gone um, I don't know how well the organization is positioned for the future even if they get a lot of money from those transfers those are a lot of guys to replace in one offseason that's the worst case scenario or the best case scenario for thinking about how much money the Reds could get but really it's the worst (laughs) case scenario Um, but if that were were to happen I think you do have to kind of kind of reevaluate just how well positioned the team is for the future because that would be a ton of talent to replace in one offseason. And again, not to be further pessimistic, but we've seen Bruce have a lot of misses on his international signings, at least from what we've seen so far this year with with Captoom and um, you know, you might maybe Tristan's not a, a miss yet, but you know, certainly questions there and you know, Mafla hasn't been quite as good as you'd hope. So uh, you know, that again, lots to be positive about, but I think there there is a negative way you could kind of look at the future as well if you're thinking about that, mm-hmm. which all makes it more important that the Revolution win everything they can win this year and do it now. Well, and hopefully if the Revs are winning this season too, it's going to maybe attract players in more more of a way too. It'll be a lot easier to to bring a player in that, that wants to win. You know, you're looking for the players that want to do well. Well, hey, look at me on Brutes Arena. I took this team from zero to hero in you know, two years, two and a half years time frame. And a lot of the core of this roster is still the same as the, the Brad Friedel era. So that's, it's going to be a lot of uh, a, a good bargaining chip 
to be able to present to good players as well as uh, you know a, a huge bag of money. So. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, another good bargaining chip or another good sign to sell the revs to, to players is, you know, if they if they do let those guys go, hey, look, you know, we did what was best for these guys career. We didn't force them to stay here. And, you know, mm-hmm. the revolution organization before Bruce Arena had a bit of a reputation with guys like Taylor Twelman and Shari Joseph when they had opportunities to move overseas. They you know didn't let that happen, which is, is great as a revolution fan that the revolution kept their best players. But long term is maybe not great for the revolution as far as attracting talent that's ambitious and, and wants to play in Europe in the future. Uh, it's important to know that if you have those ambitions and the team comes calling with, for the right price, that the revolution are going to let you go. So, um, you know, all of those just are, look at, are just look at the Atlanta, you know, the, right. their structure and how they're going. They're attracting all the, all the hot young talent out of South America right now, because it's a stepping stone for them to get to the Premier league. So it's been, uh, it's been fascinating to see that just, the whole uh, change in the mentality behind MLS and the stigma behind it, the league as well. So just getting to let players go and, you know, Tejan de Bruges, I think is a huge uh, stepping stone as well for the revolution. Yeah, I, I completely agree with all of that. And, you know, Atlanta is, is a good model, even though they've struggled a bit this season, although they're starting right. to turn things around and could be a problem for the Revs if they face in the playoffs. They do scare me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, David Sabillin asked about a player we talked about already, but uh, worth bringing up again. McNamara just gets it. He comes back to help building up, allowing the play. Allow, sorry. He comes back to help build up, allowing the forwards to stay upfield. I can't see a playoff game without T Mac starting. Thoughts? I think we both agree with that, right? We, we mean, unless something changes and Captoon all of a sudden becomes the, the, the player that uh, that you hoped he'd be, which I don't see happening. I, I also don't see a game without T Mac starting, right? Even if Captoon becomes that player that we all expected, uh, it's Tommy Mack's spot. It's, yeah, I'm glad that that David said this again to you. And I know we already talked about it and I'm glad that we read it again because uh, I think it's time that we really start giving Tommy Mack all the credit he does deserve because he's been such, in my opinion, he's the unsung hero of this uh, 2021 team. And, and I apologize, I'm jumping all over the place because questions keep coming in. Um, Traeger Durardi on Twitter asks, what are your thoughts on the refing tonight? I thought there were a few times VAR should have been used but wasn't, as well as some calls that were yellow for the revs but not for Orlando. Uh, I didn't have any issue necessarily with the refing. Uh, the only only play that stuck out to me was the yellow card on, I forget, the the Orlando player when they, they stepped on Books's foot. And, you know, maybe it's just a little bit of me being like, oh, don't hurt my Buxa. Um, But I saw studs coming into the foot. And I know on the broadcast, Charlie said that he thinks that that was a fair yellow. It was a it was a hard yellow, but it was a it was a good yellow. Not that it should have been a red. In my opinion, that's a red card. You can't bring your foot into someone's ankle um, like studs into someone's ankle. I think that's a red card foul. Other than that, uh I didn't see anything in particular um, that that really stuck out to me and said, hey, these uh, these refs are, are not doing what they, they need to be doing to keep this game under control. I, I thought the same thing. I, I thought the the play on Buxa could have been a red card. Um, I I don't it doesn't bother me too much that it was yellow, but I, I think I've seen reds given for that before. Um, yes. at, the, at the same time, I want to see games played 11 on 11. And I think it's important for the revs to to play these games 11 on 11 for the playoffs and and, and build that up. But um 
you know, there were some questionable calls. There's always questionable calls. I think there were things that could have gone one way that went the other way, but there was nothing in this game that I thought, you know, truly impacted the outcome um, in a way that was outrageous or that was clearly wrong. So, uh, it, you know, it, it, this game didn't bother me any more than kind of your average game as far as roughing calls that I disagreed with. But uh, Cody Hall on Twitter asked, you know, back to a question we kind of already covered. Are we concerned that the Revs can't put games away keep seeing us get lucky getting lucky winning goals you know i go i I don't know if you have anything to add i just go back to what i said earlier i think that there's have been you know plenty of revolution one goal wins that have been convincing wins despite only being my one goal again this wasn't one of them so it's easy to kind of have this comment now i mean if if they convert that penalty kick it's 2-2 and we're having a different discussion but i I don't know i'm not concerned (laughs) i know and uh I want to address one comment that Cody made there too, saying they keep seeing us getting lucky winning goals. And what about that winning goal tonight uh, was lucky? I, I don't didn't see any luck there. There was Tejon Buchanan who made the left back look silly uh, and then put in a really dangerous ball in. And I'll tell you what, that own goal by Rodrigo Schlegel is not going in the net if Adam Buxa was not being so... I, I can't even find the right words tonight. I It's driving me nuts. I can't find good enough synonyms to describe how good his play was and how impactful he was. But if he wasn't fighting with Schlegel the way he was and just pushing him around, that was not going to be an own goal. That was maybe inches away from, from books tapping it in. But uh, that goal is not luck. That goal was because the revolution really just applied their force and their will towards the Orlando back line and just put that ball onto the net. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say that that was lucky whatsoever. I want to make sure that's not known. But as far as putting games away, no, I'm I'm still not really concerned because it's kind of what we've come to expect of this team. They, they want to get the lead. And then once they're in front, they want to hold that lead. And they've been doing a very good job of that. They've shown that they're very capable of doing that. Uh, the Revs lost four games all season. So I'm not really concerned about about not being able to put games away. And, and we've seen when they have failed to put a game away and conceded an equalizing goal, they go right back down the other end and score to, to take the lead again. So they're, mm-hmm. they've shown a lot of fight back. I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't concern me. Sure, I, w- I would love to see the Revolution winning games by three or four goals comfortably more frequently. But, um, you know, and, uh, to, you can't uh, always play Miami. Right. And, and Randy LH on Twitter has a similar question. 16 wins by one goal is better than the alternative. But concerning for the playoffs, right? Starting to feel like we look better on the attack. Then we deliver on the field. Again, I, I'm not concerned for the playoffs. You know, <laughs> the Revolution find ways to win these games. They're generally the better team, um, you know, even though they're not necessarily winning by by two or three goals. Again, I think, you know, going back to your point, I don't think it was luck, that own goal. I think it was a very good play by the Revolution. You might see own goal on the score sheet and say, wow, you know, very lucky the Revolution won on an own goal. But they created that goal, um, mm-hmm. you know. Tejan Buchanan did everything he needs to do to make sure the Revs scored there. Uh, if, if the defender's not there, Buxa puts it away. Um, Buxa caused the defender to have a really difficult situation there where that happened, as you pointed out. Um, I don't think it's lucky. Maybe if you're going to say the Revs had some luck, it was that, you know, Nani took a really terrible penalty kick that, that Matt Turner <laughs> saved. But um, And Matt Turner seems to completely own him on <laughs> in those situations. But, um, again, you know, this wasn't the most convincing win from the Revolution. But overall, I'm not concerned. Um, any revs UK also known as Mike on Twitter asked us just how good is this team? Uh, he seems to be a bit more optimistic than some of these other questions. Also, he said it was great to see Polster back out there doing what he does best. And he also laughed at Nani. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to laugh at Nani, right? I mean, 
the Nani's in the Rose back pocket right now. Nani's not doing anything. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this team is just so good. And I mean, maybe it's a bit more easy for Mike, who's also a Leeds fan, to be uh, more optimistic <laughs> because he is a Leeds fan. So uh, sorry, Mike. I know you. they had a good season a couple of years ago to get back into the Prem. Um, but yeah, it, it the Revolution are far and away better in MLS than Leeds are in the Prem, if that makes any sense. Uh, not to take anything or make fun of Leeds, but I understand why he's being a bit more optimistic. <laughs> yes, if that is your Premier League team, it's easier to be optimistic about how good the Revolution are being. Although it should be easy for anybody to be optimistic about how good the Revolution are being right now because they are yes. very much on pace to have the best record in league history. We've talked about it before. Um, where, you know, I think n- none of us thought they were going to hit that that mark. I think I think my opinion's changing now, right? <laughs> at this point, yes. at this point, they're probably going to hit that mark. It, I don't think that they won't hit it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, that's a weird way of me saying yes. I agree. <laughs> I think that they will hit it. It's I, I I'm looking at the schedule and I I see win win maybe a draw win. Uh, you know, you coming up right. We have Montreal on Wednesday win, even though it's in in Montreal. So I you know who knows maybe something weird will happen. But then after the break, they come back. They play Chicago. They play DC, Orlando again. Maybe that game can drop a tough some one points. On the road. Yeah, and then home against Colorado, that should be another win. And then to finish the season, home against Miami, that should be another ten goal win. Um, so I don't see where they're dropping enough points to not to not hit that mark. Do you? No, it's it's crazy. I mean the the caveat being that I do expect some rotation and. Yeah, let's say let's say the rotation ends up with them playing, you know, a B team in Orlando. They might, you know, drop three points there. Um, you know, the, DC is a team they should beat, but on the road, if they're not playing their A team, who knows? Um, again, Montreal, another team they should beat on the road. But if they if they do rotate and play the same lineup they played against Chicago, who knows? But I, I I think more more likely than not now the Revolution hit that mark. So that'll be it'll be fun to watch. Um, Sam Mitten also wanted to make fun of, of Nani. He says, thoughts on Turner's play is Nani now legally American since he's Turner's son. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just keep bringing in the Nani stuff, please. I love it. I'm and I thought Turner that. was good overall. But I know, we, Sean, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. And that first goal, the only goal, right, that DK goal, maybe Matt Turner should have done better there. Matt Turner is supposed to be the... Uh, the best keeper in MLS, and I think the best keeper in ML. The, excuse me, wow, the best keeper in MLS is going to save that type of shot. It was a great shot by Daryl DK. I don't want to take anything away from him. And your average goalkeeper is not not even getting close to that. Uh, I, I'm surprised that it got past Matt Turner. Maybe it just caught him off guard. I don't know what it was. I did expect him to be a little bit better on that, and I think he deserves some criticism there. Uh, otherwise, I thought he had a fantastic game. I thought that he uh, did a very good job of managing the game, especially at the end of the game, managing the clock and being able to control the tempo of the game. So, yeah, Matt Turner deserves a lot of praise for the rest of the match and how that went down, and especially that that save uh, on Nani and that, that PK. Incredible. I couldn't agree more with everything, every single part of what you just said. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to add anything. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> I'll let you take the next one. Follow us on Twitter. 
wants to know, is Bo's lack of productivity of late a concern? I know you have some thoughts on this one. I'll start, though. Um, mm. He hasn't scored since August 14th, six appearances since then, uh, some of them off the bench um, as he's recovering from injury or as the revolution have rotated. But he does have three assists in those six games, which is, you know, Three assists in six games isn't terrible. Um, I wouldn't say that's a complete lack of productivity. He also had three key passes and an assist tonight, an uh, assist on the last game on Wednesday off the bench. So uh, it doesn't strike me as lack of product- lack of goals, sure, over six games, lack of productivity. I, I mean, I think assists are still productivity. Um, I don't know. I'm not concerned about it. I think there was you know, some, some of these games was him coming back from injury and working his way back to form. And like I said, I think he works really well with, with Buxa. And I think there was a, a bit of a loss on that chemistry when Buxa was away on international duty. So I, I'm, it's not a concern for me yet. If he goes the rest of the regular season without scoring, uh, maybe I'm a bit worried, but I'm, I'm not concerned yet. Are you? Yeah, uh, overall, I'm not concerned. No, it's Gustavo Bo. I think he shows up in the, in the biggest moments when you need him the most. Uh, and, you, you know, last goal he scored, you said, was August 14th. Is that correct? Yep. So it's been eight games now that he has gone without scoring a goal, which I think is kind of jarring. Only, when you only think about six it. that he played in, though. Only six that he played. Okay. Yeah. So, so that makes a, a bit more bit sense. Yeah. It makes it a little bit better, for sure. And I know that he, he was uh, dealing with some sort of injury. We're not really sure what it was. And so getting back, getting back into form, it can do a lot for a player's confidence when you, when you miss a couple of games and have to get back into it um later on overall i'm not concerned but there's a, a lot of characteristics that i see in gustavo Bo that i see with another uh forward on the revolution and that's teal bunbury and the fact that they're both very streaky so maybe it's a bit more exaggerated with teal bunbury uh with as far as how streaky he can be when he's good and he's on at consecutive games over and over again he seems to really be on and always be there and and just be that player that the Revs need to really get a foot forward. And then whatever, for whatever reason, that'll turn off. And Teal Bunbury is just going to be slightly off over and over and over again. And you're going to be like, man, I don't know what's going on with Teal. And you'll realize it's been a string of like eight to ten games maybe where he his productivity has really dropped and, and gone off the deep end. And I see a lot of that with Gustavo Bo. He'll just go invisible for games at a time. And I don't think he was necessarily invisible tonight, although... When Gustavo does show up, I think that's when things happen. If you're not seeing him on the field, or if he's on the field and nothing, you're not seeing him in the action or in the play, nothing's actually happening as far as the offense is concerned, right? And once you start to see Gustavo get more involved, that's when a lot of offense, uh, a lot of offensive force, that, or I'm using some really bad words tonight, and I apologize, but just that uh, the offense that's generating um, is it's usually a lot to do with Gustavo Bo's performance. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I think there is definitely some streakiness in Gustavo Bo. The one thing I will say is, you know, early on in the season, we were questioning Bo a bit because he wasn't scoring. Um, and at that point of the year, he wasn't doing too much else for the revolution either. Um, but it, quickly became apparent that he started doing a lot more for the revolution beyond just scoring, which is creating a lot of chances for his teammates. He's been one of the best creators in MLS this season. And so, you know, even when he's not scoring, he's still contributing something to the revolution. I mean, he had an assist tonight. He had an assist Wednesday. 
Um, three key passes tonight on top of the assist. He's he's creating a lot of chances. So I, I get the concern with him not scoring. But, you know, this isn't like the Gustavo Bow that we saw at the beginning of the year that both wasn't scoring and wasn't doing too much else to help his teammates. You know, he's even when he's not scoring now, he's still being a key part in the Revolution offense and, and setting up chances. So I, I, I'm not worried. I think he still adds a lot to this Revolution team. And I, I expect sooner rather than later he's going to score again. Um, I guess on a similar vein, watch on Discord asks us, will Buxa outscore Bo this season? Chris, they're both at 12 goals right now, six games left. What do you think? The answer should be no. So I think uh, Adabusa is going to be the guy that you want to more or less score your goals, while Bo is going to be more of the enforcer, if you want to say it that way. And Bo is going to be scoring the goals when you need them, more instead of just casually run-of-the-mill play, right? The run-of-the-mill play should be more or less going through a Buxa goal, in my opinion. Um, the problem has been finishing, and it's been consistent all season. And uh, it's been a theme of the podcast tonight as well. I'm not concerned with with it. I just don't know what that's going to mean when it comes to uh, uh, the Revs Golden Boot race, right? Uh, my prediction, if we, are we going to make predictions tonight? Um, let's make sure we alert cursed revs because I'm going to go out on a limb and I'll say, yeah, Buxa is going to outscore Bo, uh, 15 to 14. Yeah, this is a tough one to me. Um, I would, all things being equal, I'd, I'd also agree with Buxa probably outscores Bo and you know, Buxa has taken 91 shots this season to Bo's 63. And I think as Buxa's finishing has gotten better as the year goes on, you know, that should even out to him getting more goals than Gustavo Bo. And I think Buxa's shots generally come from a, a closer position than Gustavo Bo's shots come from. So I would say all things being equal, Adam Buxa. With that said, if Adam Buxa goes to play for Poland again, does really well at starting all those games, maybe that leads to Bruce resting him more games than Gustavo Bo gets rested. I think that's the, the tricky part here is you don't know how Bruce is going to rotate. And Gustavo Bo is not playing any international break games. We know that. Adam Buxa probably is. So that is the one factor that might go to Bo's favor. Um, with that said, if they play the same amount of games, my money would be on Buxa to score more goals than Bo. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yep. Well, and Bo is also creating more uh, more assists and yeah. you know chances than Buxa is too. Buxa is more of a finisher. Bo is more of an all-around attacker. So. Right, and it, even even if Adam Buxa, you know, finishes the season with more goals, that doesn't mean he had a better season uh, mm-hmm. than Gustavo Bo, because Gustavo Bo, as we've seen, I don't know if it's still the case, but he was in you know top five in MLS and chances created. Um, so he, again, he does a lot more than just score goals, and Adam Buxa has a couple of assists too. Um, but you know, looking at key passes, Gustavo Bo second on the Revs with two per game. Um, you know, nobody else other than, you know, Carlos Hill is 4.9. He's in a class of his own, but nobody else in the reps has more than 1.1. And Adam Books is all the way down at 0.5. So he's he's creating, you know, at a four times the pace that Books is for his teammates. So, um, you know, let's let's say Books finishes with 15 goals and, and Gustavo Bo finishes with, you know, 14 goals. If Gustavo Bo has got you know, seven assists or something and, and Adam Books has got two, does that mean that Adam Books had a better season because he had one more goal? Not necessarily. So I don't know. I, I think Books, all this is to say, I think Books probably takes the, this, the scoring title, but doesn't mean that he all of a sudden had a better season than Gustavo Bell. Yep. I agree. Steve McGrogan on Twitter, more of a comment. I love how this team always rises to the occasion. Whatever they face, they meet the challenge. No disagreement yep. here. Uh, Cameron on Discord ask an interesting question. 
Um, and Terminator in Discord also brings up a similar question. Uh, was that the worst game the Revs have seen from Carly's heel? His touch was off and his passes were uncharacteristically sloppy. Um, we'll start with that one. Any thoughts on, on that one? You know, Carly's heel, we talked about it. He gets a ton. He creates a ton of chances every game. Um, I think he only had, what was it, two or three, only two chances, only two key passes in this game, which is, is low for him. Uh, but 93% passing accuracy, that doesn't imply sloppy passing. I don't know, Chris, what do you, what do you make of this comment? Yeah, I mean, 93% passing, it exceeds his season average of 80%. So uh, it, I think that he had an eye test, maybe a not as good or not as impactful outing as uh, you're used to seeing with Carly Seal. But you're looking at a team that also has uh, every other, uh, essentially, starter at their position uh, playing. And the play didn't have to go through Carly's heel. And it could be part of the dealing with Orlando's situation, right? I don't think he had a, a bad game. I don't think he had a um, a sloppy game. I mean, if anything, if we're talking sloppy, uh, we're talking me on this podcast tonight, I have been extremely sloppy. So... Uh, you want you want to chart stats look at let's see how many times i've stumbled over my own words because i can't think uh, i thought i thought carly seal was totally fine i didn't have any issues whatsoever with him and nothing stuck out from his performance that made me say he's off tonight yeah i, I agree i mean if you're looking purely at chances created he did not create nearly as many chances as he usually does in a game which is he usually creates a extraordinarily extraordinary amount of chances, way more than you can expect a, a human being to create uh, anywhere. Mm. So, you know, by his standards, was it his best game? Absolutely not. But I, I didn't think it was particularly sloppy. Um, if you're only again, if you're only judging on chances created, not his best game. Fair enough. But uh, you know, he'll, he'll have better games. But I, I thought it was a perfectly okay performance from Carly's heel. We've just come to expect so much magic from him that the fact that there maybe wasn't as much magic in this one as far as him on the offensive end, um, you know, leads to this comment. But I, I'm I'm not, you know, nothing in this game worries me about him whatsoever, and I, I didn't think it was particularly bad. <laughs> yep. um, on, on that note, Terminator on Discord said, even with Carly's heel playing badly to his standard and the refs being there, which I assume means he wasn't happy with the refs also, was this a result that could turn the revs into a bully and not just a highly skilled team? Did the revs evolve today? You know, I mean, maybe, uh, so uh, I don't know, evolve, like maybe from a Charmander to Charmeleon or something and not uh, Charizard, <laughs> you know, so not all the way, didn't quite get to that final form that we want to see. But they showed us a, a lot of their potential and what they can be with this first eleven on the on the pitch and and really getting together. Yeah, if you want to talk uh, metaphors in that way, I think yeah they they kind of did evolve a bit. Uh, I don't think this team is ever going to be a bully. I think that they are going to uh, outclass you and in many different ways. A lot of them is uh, with passing the ball and with making runs and chances created. Carly's heel is just going to pick you apart. Uh, is not going to be kind of a bullying you and we're going to dominate every aspect of this match, but they are going to get the lead at some point most of the time. And when they get that lead, they're just going to hold on to it. They're going to try to get more and they're going to fail because they can't seem to finish all their chances when they have goals already. I don't know why, uh, but uh, I mean, it was a bit sarcastic there at the end, but you know, overall, this team just, they're just going to hold on to their lead. That's what they do. 
Uh, that's kind of their identity at this point, and I don't think that we should necessarily expect anything else. Um, I think that there is another uh, step available in their evolution of what this team is. But yeah, I think that they showed a lot, and you know, this was essentially a playoff atmosphere match. We've mentioned that a couple times now, and I I'm gonna reiterate it because I think it's important to to consider and to to pay attention to that because this is a team that is in the playoff race that we we'll possibly see in the playoffs. And it was a it was a scrappy uh, fight of a match, and it was you know uh, almost a, a replay of um, the the postseason last year, except of course that was in Orlando, which we will see one trip to Orlando in October. Uh, I'd love to see how that one plays out if the first eleven is going to be playing or not. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think that the Revs are going to be a bully this season. Uh, in any form. Uh, Sean, do you disagree with that at all? No, I agree. And I think we've seen the Revolution this season have found several different ways that they can win games depending on who they're playing and who the Revs personnel is. Um, And, you know, they've evolved throughout the season, I would say, in the sense that they've found ways to beat teams regardless of what tactics they employ against them. If it's going to be a physical game, they can become a physical team too in response. Um, But I don't think that the Revolution are kind of evolving from... I don't know. I don't think they're permanently making some sort of change to being a, a very physical team that you know bullies teams into submission to win games. But I think they're capable of, of doing it on occasion. Um, but I don't think that's their style, and I don't think that that's what we're kind of expect the Revolution to do long term. Yeah, I mean, you might be able to see that against uh, Chicago on the 16th when Chicago comes to town, and if the Revs put out their first 11, I think that's going to be a, a match where you maybe you see the Revs bully the other team. Maybe at the end of the season, the uh, decision day game when Miami comes to town, that might be another one. Although Miami might be scrapping to get into the playoffs and the Revs probably are not playing their first 11 that match anyway. Um, But overall, I don't think you see a lot of that unless it is against a team uh, closer to the bottom of the table. Yeah, I agree with you. Any any final thoughts tonight? I think we're out of listener questions. Any final thoughts before we wrap things up? Yeah, I can't believe we made it through all. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts. I'm just uh, going to apologize for how many times I've stuttered tonight because something's off with me. And I don't know what it is, but uh, thanks for thanks for sticking it out and listening to me ramble about. I don't even know what I've rambled about tonight, but thank you for listening. To me. Hey, like 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 even like Carly's heel. We can't all be amazing every day, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. I, I'm only amazing, you know, 364 days a year. So you caught me on the one. <laughs> Well, the Revolution next play on Wednesday in Montreal. That should be an exciting game. Don't know yet whether we're going to do a podcast after that one. Um, you can check us out on, on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If we do do a podcast after that one, we'll let you know. If not, there's an international break um, where the Revolution don't play again until the 16th. So we'll probably have some sort of content between now and then. Again, follow us on all of our different social media forms to find out when. Chris, where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Chris Lucas, or if you want to follow me for just soccer content, I'm at Revs Revolt. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sean L. Donahue. Again, don't know when the next podcast will be, but for sure we'll let you know on social media. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever else you're listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.